Socks are off. Feet are no longer sweaty. Perfect. Karen. Hi. Hey. Welcome to Murder of Ages. Bonjour à tous. Oh. Yeah, that's French. You speak French? Just a wee wee. So stupid. Uh, we finally got our new stuff. It's very nice. Super easy. Definitely do your research before you spend hundreds of dollars on stuff. Which is funny because I felt like we did do our research. Yeah, I think we did. We just moving up. went up with the easy easy route and it turned out to not be the best one. That's how it goes. It's true. All right. Uh, well, I'm Karen. I'm Marcy. <laughs> Hello, friends in podcast land. Sorry this uh, took so long. We had a lot of technical difficulties but now we're up and good well it's only it's been less than a week so well that's a long time relax in podcast world also if you listen to our first one and you're listening to episode two (laughs) bless your heart because that first one was rough yeah capital r (laughs) whatever you're still here listening hopefully thank you our one listener thank you thank you um I have a surprise for you. And I have a surprise for you. It's like we're friends. And I'm going to video. We're going to video each other opening our surprises and put it on the Instagram page. Oh, gross. Well, I look like shit too. It's okay. We're podcasters now. Our face doesn't matter. Mine does. We're in in radio land. Well, you're married, so (laughs) it doesn't count. Okay, you ready? Um, Who's going first? I want to go first because... I brought mine on Tuesday when we were originally recording or going to record with our shit old equipment. So it's been burning a hole in my bag. In your soul. <sighs> yes, and in give my me, soul. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I can't wait. Hey. Oh, am I supposed to videotape this? Oh, I'll I'll video it. You handing it to me. Oh, okay, and then I take over. And then wait, which way does it go? So oh. we're in my spare bedroom, which is also my closet. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, am I supposed to? Oh, yeah, turn it around. Okay. Close your eyes. Ah, that closed. Put out, put out your hands. Spirit fingers. Hey. These. Here we go. Fingers. Crinkle, 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 crinkle. Oh, it's a canvas shirt. Looks beautiful. Oh my God! <laughs> a PNW. <laughs> oh, it's so cute, Karen. Thank you. Show it. We will take a picture oh. of it. Um, so, okay, I'm going to start recording this, but I have to give a shout out really quick. I got it on Etsy, um, and the shop is called C and K Threads. Um, the owner's name is Stacy. She's from Bend, Oregon. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Stacy. Stacy's mom's got it going on. I'm wearing oh, mine too. I'm wearing the same exact outfit on Tuesday because I had to cover up the shirt. And I didn't even notice. <laughs> I've been like sweating in this. Ah, look yeah. at you! So cute. Um, but thank you, Stacy, and I will tag you when we post a picture. Are you ready for yours? Yes. Okay. Are you gonna Myth. record now? Because I yeah, because I need to see your reaction. Oh my god! When you open this, is it a dildo? <laughs> Not on the air, Karen. No. Sorry. Sorry, okay. mom. Here we go. Hey. Oh my god. 
What is this? Big box. What can it be? It's Big... my tissue paper that I've given her. <laughs> big box, big surprises. It's the creepiest <laughs> little clown doll I've ever seen in my life. Its nails are painted. It's going to be our little mascot, and we will definitely post a picture. Oh, my gosh. And the video, of course, on Instagram. But he's just going to hang out and watch Mercy the whole time. Yeah, so um, my husband gets to go into houses and clean out every once in a while, and he gets to just take stuff to the dump or we get to keep it and so I went through the house to see if there's anything I could salvage and I saw that little guy in the closet oh my god who the <laughs> fuck buys this and it's like this is his his little great. eyes he just looked like he needed you so oh no I'm, you're so welcome I'm not looking at him thank you <laughs> you got me something really nice <laughs> that's okay um well do you have any other announcements I don't think so what should we just uh Dive Get down to the in. meat and bones here. Yeah. I'm up meat first. Let me... Uh... So for our podcast, in case you didn't listen to number one, one of us does a past murder, one does a present that happened in the Pacific Northwest. Karen this week is past, so she'll go first. I will. Meow, meow, meow. All right. This story is... I feel like it's pretty long, so I apologize in advance. Um... But I decided to pick the story because I feel it's important to talk about sexual abuse um, because I've been sexually abused as a child. And I am also going to school for psychology, so I think it's really interesting to kind of talk about it. And there's a lot of books written about this guy by psychologists. So that's why I have so much information um, there's also a lot of documentaries you can watch on him, and there's a lot of direct quotes because he kept a diary, like a sociopath would. Mm, is he a sociopath? I mean, I, yeah. Oh, should I ask you a question? Okay, so everyone knows I'm taking notes because apparently I interrupt a lot and ask a lot of questions. So Q&A at the end. Got my pen here. Um, You can ask questions when I pause, okay? So if... I will also give a trigger warning if um, this is something you don't want to listen to. Please skip and listen to Marcy's story. Uh, my sites that I got this from are Crime Library, Murderpedia, Wikipedia, and also the documentary on Discovery Channel. I think it was just his name. It was on YouTube, so I don't remember. Discovery but, Channel. Yeah, it was on YouTube. Huh, okay. Uh, so, this is about Wesley Allen Dodd. Oh, I think I recognize that name. It's... I don't know. I can't... Nothing's popping to my mind, though, for specifics, so... Oh, man. I... I don't even know how I never have heard of him. I started doing a different story, um, like I told you, and then I quickly changed it when I started researching Wesley because it was just so, like, not fascinating, but just intriguing is that appropriate mm. for a child molester oh, i don't know gosh. all okay. right <laughs> let's do this buckle your seats yeah 
So, Wesley Allen Dodd was born on July 3rd, 1961, in Richland, Washington. Uh, he claims no one in the family, like, expressed love. He was bullied by classmates, was a loner. But there's no evidence that he had, like, an abusive childhood or anything of that sort. So, it's kind of... I think that's why it's so intriguing to psychologists to kind of see, like, what went wrong in mm-hmm. his brain, you know? It's just hardwiring from the start. Yeah. So, Wesley began sexually abusing children when he was only 13 years old. Mm. Um, as grade schoolers passed by his house, he would stand upstairs in his bedroom window naked. And he would hide his face oh behind gosh. the curtain and just show his... Flashing. Yep. Show his dick to the world. So eventually, a child reported it. Good. To the police. um, And the, you know, authorities showed up, but they obviously had no real interest. Because by this time, when he's 13, it was the 70s. So, and there's no evidence, which is also why I need to talk about this. Because sexual abusers most of the time don't get any punishment because there's no physical evidence. Mm -hmm. And it pisses me off. He said, she said. Yep. So after realizing that exposing himself from his own home would just get him into trouble, (laughs) he took his show on the road, as he called it. Oh, my God. (laughs) No. (laughs) Clown, cover your ears. You can't hear this. He pedaled on his bike around the neighborhood looking for children at 10 or younger. Ew. He would ride by, yell at them, and then expose himself to get their attention. He looked for boys, he said, because boys didn't report me as often as girls. Um, like I said, he never, there's no evidence or claims that he's ever been sexually abused or really had a horrible childhood. Um, he did, let's see, oh, he did have two younger brothers. Um, his dad said that Wesley was really well-behaved. He never did drugs, never drank, never smoked. Oh, maybe he should have. No shit. Give him some fucking Give him a vice. But they noticed that when the parents got divorced, that's when his exposing escalated to molestation. Oh, man. So, his teenage years, um, well, like most child molesters, Wesley began to gain trust of children and families. So sick. Very. Uh, Wesley's first victims were his own cousins. So, uh, when Wesley was 13, he molested his eight-year-old cousin in a closet and her six-year-old brother on the same day. And another male cousin weeks later. Mm-hmm. He would also molest the kids of a woman his father was dating. Oh my gosh. Worst nightmare. Right. And he would um, befriend the neighborhood boys and he would offer to babysit. By the time he was 16, he was like a trusted babysitter in the town oh this makes me so it just hits so close to home you know i mean the kids are outside in the backyard and someone rides their bike by with their wiener hanging out i mean it's just like how do you right and then even the the molesting someone you trust to watch your kids while you're gone trust no one (sighs) 
So then he would also um, get jobs uh, where he would be with kids. So including like a summer camp counselor, which also kind of hits close to home. It does. Yep. We both have been after school camp counselors for a local place here. And that's actually how we met. So kids are near and dear to our hearts. Yes. Just and... not my own. um yeah there's also stories of people not working there for the right reasons well i mean should we talk about what just came into the news at our own backyard i mean it kind of has to do with your story i feel like we should talk about it a little bit yeah do you want to are we can we address it i think so i mean there aren't a lot of facts it's just alleged but there's a boys kind of reformatory type school right is that what you call it oh this story that's what i was thinking of no i was thinking of this one anyhow it's out in the middle of nowhere and it's all for boys and there's recently a report there were boys running away and then one employee was arrested for molestation and kids about what 20 of them were sent to walla walla now i think so Um, and it's been operating for like 25 years so it's really yeah, and they're Sad. ages 9 to 17, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, it's boys. It's vulnerable ones that are in trouble. Right, it's pretty fucked up. Uh, so back to Wesley. He would trick children into inappropriate contact through fun and games. So he would, you know, play like truth or dare, tell them to go skinny dipping, spin the bottle, strip poker... Uh, he would tell them, quote, I've done this to other kids and they liked it. Ew. Come on. He would try to tell them, you know, that it was something fun that adults do and it was perfectly normal. In 1976, at the age of 15, uh, Wesley had already been arrested for exposing himself, but he was not prosecuted. Instead, the authorities recommended counseling. Uh, Over the years, he would fall in and out of the court-ordered counseling sessions, but he would, you know, randomly attend, I think, when it counts. Oh, yeah, to show, like, hey, look, I was here. Right, like, to get the hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The arrests, you know, there was just more and more, and he was rarely punished. So, yes, T, time out here. Is this before... The three strikes law. I'm assuming it is. I'm assuming because he gets away or with a lot. Or is this not? I don't know if there's different um, stipulations for the three, three strikes. Like it has to be a certain kind of crime. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. That's we don't know question, anything. Though. We just like to hear the sound of our own voices. <sighs> yeah. I'm not that smart. Um, so I know that I this week I'm doing a past story. Mm-hmm. And we decided that that means, like, when the crime originally started. Yeah. So he hasn't started killing yet, but I th- consider this one still a past story because he, I consider child molestation a crime. Yeah. So um, his killings didn't start until, I don't remember, but we'll get to there. That's but okay. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Because this is anyone... who I did, too. So, I mean, we can compare notes. Oh, perfect. Oh, I'm just kidding. Perfect. Why are you asking so many questions, then? I haven't. Oh, my kidding. God. <laughs> Go. So, then, um, the children that he was molesting, 
when they moved away because, you know, they go off to college or whatever, um, he was desperate for new victims. Um, and then he realized that with new random victims, he could be more forceful and not accept no as an answer. So in August 1981, he's now 20 years old. The two little girls who he tried to take reported him to the police. Of course, no action was taken. The following month, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy and was stationed at a submarine base in Bangor, Washington. Huh. Must be over on the coast. Uh, yeah. Assuming. So I googled it because I was like, I've never heard of this town. It's near Seattle, uh, and the population is about six thousand. Oh, so it's basically just the base. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he would prey on children who lived on the base. Oh my gosh. He would also travel to Seattle. Um, where he would go to, like, the movie theater and arcades and try to get little boys in the bathroom. He began using money as a bribing tool. So he would tell them, like, if he was at the arcade and he noticed a child needed money, he would tell them, like, oh, I have extra quarters if you pull down your pants. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, this fucking guy. So bad. Aww. Uh, so, at one point, he was arrested, offering to pay some boys $50 each to go to a motel and play strip poker with him. But after he admitted to the police that he planned on molesting the boys, the charges were mysteriously dropped. What? I'm Just because he admitted to it? I'm almost, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say anything for certain, because I don't know much about the military, but I think oh, for working in, like, a big corporation type, they don't want, like... Kind of swept it under the rug. Yeah, they don't want thinking. news headlines. Yeah, that would make sense. I Please don't know. let us know if you know. <laughs> right. I have an idea. So he was found guilty um, of approaching a young boy. He was arrested and he received a general discharge discharge from the Navy. For that, he served 19 days in jail and was ordered, again, to get counseling. In May 1984, police arrested West for molesting a 10-year-old boy. The judge allowed West to stay out of jail by giving here, him a suspended one-year sentence, provided that he attended counseling and conduct himself as a good citizen for the balance of the sentence mm. which is ridiculous because you should look at his track record yeah like, he's gonna do it okay my children are safely bluetoothed into their ipads and in the other room you can hear their chatter in the distance <laughs> sorry that's good parenting <laughs> i do my best so during this period when um the judge told him to attend counseling. He was arrested twice for driving with a suspended license, but of course he wasn't brought back to jail. Of course not. He took jobs at fast food restaurants, um, convenience stores, and charity truck routes where he would pick up donations from houses. He quotes, a sexual predator is always alert and ready for any situation or possibility that may arise. I started staying alert and watching for opportunities like that to occur again. 
Oh my, that means us as parents have to equally be, if not more, on the alert. I mean, my husband always tells me I'm paranoid, but apparently that's good, I think. I think so too. More so than not. Right. If there's creeps like this out there. Exactly. And it's, this story is just so interesting because there's so many quotes from him because of this creepy diary. Mm. Um, And I, if, this is like piquing your interest i would strongly advise you to go on youtube and just watch him talk because there's just no emotion he admits to everything he doesn't deny it he tells people what he does um i did so while he was on his truck route um to pick up donations you know people would invite him in and uh Mm -hmm. changing a baby's diaper what they would ask a delivery man to change a diaper i'm assuming he would oh my gosh he must have been there a few times yeah like oh yeah look at this guy right it's Wes. so it says that changing a baby's diaper was enough to arouse him oh karen i jeez i didn't write those (laughs) you're regurgitating it Um, let's see. Yeah, so same thing. He would just, you know, make friends with people. He would volunteer to babysit. He would take co-workers' sons on fishing trips, blah, blah, blah. He kept molesting all these poor children, which I won't even say because it's so sad. Um, so in 1986, he's now 25, he moved to Seattle by the age of 25, he has sexually assaulted at least 30 kids. Quotes. Uh, now, when I got to Seattle, I had learned I was less likely to be reported for molestation than for an attempt. I decided that from now on, I would be a little more forceful. I would no longer accept no as my answer to my request. This is including a roommate's two-year-old son mm. who was partially deaf and could not yet talk. The boy resisted, and Wesley tied his hands with a bathroom or bathrobe strap. Wesley says the idea of force was exciting. Oh my gosh. He's disgusting. I know. I've read the story so many this times now, and it's babies. just horrible. Aww. So he would keep going to his counseling sessions. He began to fantasize now about killing his victims. He says, the more I thought about it, the more exciting the idea of murder sounded. I planned many ways to kill a boy. Then I started thinking of torture, castration, and even cannibalism. Mm. In 1987, Wes chose the first child he would murder. It would be an eight-year-old boy he met while working as a security guard for a construction site. On his day off, he drove to where the boy lived, hoping to catch him. Um, So he saw the boy outside, and he asked the boy if he would help him find a little lost boy. Uh, Children, adults never need your help to do anything. Nope. Never accept help from an adult. Or candy. Yes. Or McDonald's. Just don't. No. Damn it. So the eight-year-old boy said that he was 
going to go inside to get some toys for the lost boys. Oh, and so he sweet. would promise that he would be right back. Oh. But of course, he stayed inside and told his mother. And she oh my the gosh, what a good boy! I Look know. at and that mom. She raised a badass little eight year old. Yep. Fuck yeah. So smart. Oh, it's so awesome. Um. So it says we prosecuted the case to the full extent that we were able to. Said one district attorney. So he got six months. <laughs> <laughs> not even Aww. essentially he tried to get the boy to go with him but the boy refused there was nothing more serious that happened that we could use prosecutors the- tried to invoke Wes's history as mm-hmm. a sexual predator to, co- to convict him of a longer sentence but the judge reduced the charge to a gross misdemeanor And he spent only 118 days in jail with one year probation. What is that, like four months? Something like that. Oh, it is six months, right? Is it? No, it's not. I I don't know. 118 days. So let's see. There's 30 days in a month. 30 times four is 120. So yeah, about four months. Okay. Give or take. He probably didn't even do all of it. No, I bet not. Uh, So psychologist Kenneth Von Clev saw that he was a serious danger. He states, Mr. Dodd's history of deviant assaults on minors is the most extensive I have ever encountered in an offender his age. And he concluded that Wesley was an extremely high risk for future reoffense. Dr. Von Clev attempted to get Wes's conviction upgraded to a felony. Um... But he wasn't sure, and he didn't believe that Wesley was capable of violence. But he's had a whole history of violence. I mean, just I think of murder violence. Oh, he just keeps escalating. Exactly. They just would look at the pattern, which Dr. Von Clef is trying to... Clev? Cleve? Clef? Clev? Clev is trying to do. I might have pronounced his name wrong. I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, this was the 80s, though. Even now, in this decade, it's so hard to convict any child of any kind of sexual assaults. sickening. So the psychologist also said he was like a child. When he talked about his offenses, he did it in a baby talk, like a kid. Ew! Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, gross. That should take... Right there. Give him... The lethal injection. <laughs> right. no Are you talking like that about that in baby talk? Right then and there. God, yeah. In his neck. Just, just like chop that them. shit off. <laughs> um, in September uh, 1989, he moved to Vancouver and worked at Pack Paper. I don't know what hmm. that is. Um, where he worked as a shipping clerk. His coworkers thought there was something odd about him but you know guys they don't ever as long as you're nice and a good worker you don't really um his co-workers or no sorry wesley told his co-workers that he was employed by the clark county sheriff's office to stand on the corner and watch children oh okay yeah which obviously isn't true no aka he didn't work and he stood on a corner uh... and was a perv the fall of 1989, he states, On Labor Day, I was tired from moving and didn't have a TV or anything. So I started thinking about molesting, like I'd done in the past. Oh, I mean, nothing to watch, but... 
God, well, Anne, correct your grammar, Wesley. Use correct grammar in I've, your diary. I totally missed that. What was the incorrect grammar? Like I done. Oh, gosh. Like yeah. I done the past. Come on, man. <laughs> Dumbass. Just kidding. Shit. So he found David Douglas Park, which is located about a mile from his new apartment. In his diary, he wrote that David Douglas Park would be a good place for rape and murder or kidnap, rape and murder, dot, 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 a good hunting ground. Uh, I just, like, it's funny to read all of, like, his quotes from his diary because it's so bad. It's so gross that he kept a diary. I know. Because he probably reread it and kind of re, I'm sure when he gets, because he wrote about his crimes too, right? Oh, yeah. He just was reliving it. It was his way of getting aroused yeah oh um like most sociopaths he depersonalized his victims so one quote in his diary it says if i can get it home i'll have more time for various types of rape rather than just (gasps) one quickie before murder it puts the lotion on its skin buffalo bill call it it Mm mm-hmm Rather than he or she. All right, so here's where the killing starts. So this is September 1989, and he is now 28 years old. William Near, he's 10 years old, and his brother Cole Near, 11, they called William Billy. Um, they went to David Douglas Park on their bikes on their way home. They were already late for dinner, so they took the shortcut through the park. As they rode down the the dirt path, (laughs) (laughs) they were stopped by a young man blocking the way. Wesley told Billy and Cole to get off their bikes. I want you to come with me. When Billy asked why, he responded, because I told you so. Wesley ordered Billy and Cole to stand with their backs to each other and tied their wrists together with shoelaces. Wes said that one of them was going to have to pull down his pants. Oh, my gosh. Wait, pull down his own pants or Wesley's pants? Their own pants. With their hands tied? This guy, he's just, he's giving them no, I mean, nothing but fail. Right. It's our only choice. So, Cole agreed to do it. Um, and they're assuming because he's the oldest brother, he's trying to protect his younger brother. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, so Cole, you know, asked him, why are you doing this to us? And, of course, they began panicking. Um, Wesley began molesting them, but Mm. he, of course, promised the boys that he would let them go. Wesley wanted to molest the younger brother, Billy, but he was crying too hard. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, He cut. then forced the boys on their knees, took out his knife, and cut apart mm. the shoestrings that connected the brothers. Billy asked um, if he could go home and tell their father that they would be late for dinner. Wesley said no, that he was almost done. He ordered Billy to sit while he molested Cole. Uh, Wesley said, there's just one more thing. And he took out the knife and he stabbed Billy in the stomach and then attacked Cole as he jumped up, catching Cole uh, in the side 
with the knife. Billy was able to run away toward a busy street. Of course, Wesley is freaking out at this point, right? Like one of the boys just got away. He looked down to see Cole on the ground struggling. As Cole tried to defend himself, uh, Wesley just stabbed him until he stopped moving. Then he got up and ran after Billy. Jesus. He caught Billy and he grabbed him, wrapped his arm around him. Of course, Billy's crying and, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, As he's carrying him back, he's stabbing Billy in the side and the shoulder. So then he left both Cole and Billy bleeding to death um, in the forest. Uh, Wesley returned to make sure that Cole was dead and to retrieve any potential evidence. He already pocketed the shoelaces. Not long after, Billy was quickly discovered. So he must have put them in two different locations, not next to each other is my assumption, just because of the story. Um, Authorities at first thought it was a hit-and-run accident. Obviously, the boys didn't live to tell what happened. Uh, The homicide investigators arrived at the hospital where Billy had died. In the meantime, Billy and Cole's father had been searching everywhere, called the police, reported that his two sons didn't come home from the park. Um, They were looking for Cole until 2 a.m. I don't know what time, you know, all this ended, but it had to be around dinner time. Yeah. Because they were late for dinner. 7, 8 o'clock. Right. So 2 a.m. they found Cole. Um, Of course, all parents in the community were horrified and they band together and were organizing, you know, like, watch parties and stuff uh-huh. and of course wouldn't let kids go anywhere uh, anytime rightfully so um a few witnesses came forward describing a suspicious man lurking in david douglas park on the day that the near brothers were killed um and also the police had a few leads and they made some sketches of a possible sub suspect um but nothing really ever came of it right then so wesley was very frustrated by the attack because he didn't get to do the things he fantasized about doing poor poor guy poor baby so alone in his room um he wrote in his diary of course this cute little diary i wonder what color it was Black. I like black. Let's give him pink. Okay. <laughs> um, he quotes, Right up until the moment I did it, I wasn't absolutely sure I could do it or not. That might have been part of what made this first incident so exciting. He also decided that he got more of a high out of killing than molesting. So then he also listed in his diary different ways to kill children, including fast ways and more slow, painful deaths. Rape and murder now bored him. 
This is where it gets fucked up, Marcy. The whole thing has been fucked up. It's just, not gonna I, you just, just just wait. It just gets worse oh. and worse. Oh. His stomach is upset. Okay. Ooh. So he is now fantasizing about experimental surgeries. Um in one of the many letters he wrote after he was captured, he questioned his cannibal fantasies at the time he writes why i don't know i wanted to eat the genitals dead children would be a cheap way to feed my slaves if i ever had any what yeah feed his slaves i don't know he's oh my gosh he planned to cut a boy's genital off genitals Mm -hmm. yeah off it's plural and let him slowly bleed to death or keep him alive and make him watch as he cooked the genitals oh. to eat, forcing the oh. boy to eat some of it. Oh, whose idea was it to do this podcast? <laughs> what? Mine. <laughs> Why? Um, he wrote, and... What did he write? What did he write? Do and, you hey, know? you eat beef liver. How about a boy's liver? <gasps> I was mainly interested in eating the genitals while kids watched. I was going to do this as a form of torture more than anything else. This guy is just insane. Beyond. All right. So on October 29th, it's the same year. uh, He right before Halloween. I know. The real boogeyman. (laughs) My favorite. He drove to Portland, Oregon. Justin and his little brother, Lee Isley, told their father they were going to the school ground park. Um, Robert Isley was their father and thought it would be okay. The boys had been there a couple times before. He told the sons to stay together and watch out for strangers. Yeah, it's perfectly, yeah, go to the park. How old are these kids? Well, I don't know how old the older brother is, um, but... Lee is four. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I would no. never let a four-year-old. I wouldn't let my eight-year-old go to the park by herself. Yeah. I think, like, middle school is a good age. When they're 20, they can go to the park by themselves. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe 25. 20 is pushing it, but. Probably 40. <laughs> <laughs> like a four-year-old, no. So, Wesley spotted four-year-old Lee playing by himself. Um, on a structure with a slide that the kids called the volcano. Nice. Yeah. So, of course, he approached him and said, Hi, how are you doing? Would you like to have some fun and make some money? What four-year-old wants to fucking make money? They don't even understand what money is. No, they like money. Do they? Especially if they have an older sibling who's, like, in our case, getting money from the tooth fairy. Oh, that's fair. Then the little one, you know... Marshall, my son, is very upset that he's not losing teeth and getting money like his sister. (laughs) I understand. Just pull them out. (laughs) Um, Lee, as a good boy, said no. But Wesley insisted. He's not going to take no for an answer Mm -hmm. anymore. And he started to lead Lee back to his car, and then Lee started to resist. And kept saying, I don't want any money. And of course, Wesley. Where's the sibling? 
they were on a different part of the playground. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, man. Um, of course, Wesley told Lee that Lee's dad had asked Wesley to come get the boy. Oh, pulled that. Yeah, and of course, mm-hmm. the four-year-old was like, oh, okay. Right. So they started driving off, and Lee said, I live the other way, which is very good that a four-year-old knows yeah. which way to I mean, go th- home. There's days I don't know which way to go home. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, nowadays it's, I mean, do I go left or right in the house? Which hallway do I take? <laughs> I know. So confusing. Oh, man. Um... Excuse me. We're going to edit all that out. Owen, edit that out for us. Thank you. <laughs> Where is Owen? Owen would hate us. It's more George. We need George. No, it's Owen. Owen is our podcast bitch. <laughs> and our bitch. <laughs> um, Wesley told Lee, we're going to my house and play some games. Just do what I tell you, and I promise I won't hurt you. But you'll have to be quiet when we get there. My landlady doesn't like kids. So at the same time that Wesley and Lee arrived to his apartment in Vancouver, Robert Isley, which is Lee's dad, um, called the police to report that his son was missing because the older son, Justin, had returned home, obviously really frantic, um, said, you know, the last time I saw Lee, he was on the volcano and then he was gone. So I did Google map how far away Portland to Vancouver is. Not that far. Yeah, it's like a 12-minute drive. Yeah. Which is good because I wasn't – I was thinking if it was like hours, you know, like he took this boy all the way home and it was like an hour drive or something. Like, that's scary. So when they got to the apartments, Wesley's landlord wasn't home, so no one saw him arrive with a little four-year-old boy. It's almost worse that it was so close because then he could get to doing what he wants to do right? that much faster. Yeah. Oh, this poor boy. Um, okay. So inside, Wesley took pictures of Lee with his Polaroid camera, told Lee to get undressed, and he tied him to the bed with ropes. He took more pictures, untied the boy, and molested him. Afterwards, Lee watched cartoons on the television while Wes Lee recorded the events in his diary. Uh, this fucking diary is, like, insane, but so awesome for investigators because there's so much evidence. Oh, in that's it, true. You He's know? digging his own yeah, grave there, yeah. Literally recording everything you just did. But the poor person that has to read through that. Yeah. I mean, just what you're telling me is awful. I can't imagine. I mean, there must be so much more. That's just the tip of the Freudian iceberg. Like, yeah. Ugh. You see what bad. I did there? Yeah, I did. Hide. Uh, so he asked Lee if he wants to spend the night, and Lee said, no, my brother might miss me. Uh, Which is kind of sweet that he cares. Um, but Wesley said, nah, your brother is probably having fun too. Oh my gosh. Oh, you're the only one having fun. <laughs> Then he took Lee to Kmart to buy a toy. Kmart. Oh, so depressing in itself. Yeah, what happened to Kmart? If I, if, do you remember going to Kmart? Yes. It was so depressing. So oh, bad. It was awful. I do remember oh. going when I was a kid, 
and I lost to my parents, and I went up to the lady at the cash register, and they used the, like, intercom, intercom. <laughs> and I got in so much trouble. Oh, my god. At gosh. least you knew what to do. That was smart. You yes. know, you go to the people in the uniform. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't find my parents. Um... So Lee began crying when they were at Kmart. A store employee approached them, and Wesley said that he was babysitting his nephew who just wanted to go home. Afterwards, um, he took him to McDonald's. And in my story, I, in all caps, wrote, Damn McDonald's. Because I, if someone, like, enticed me with Mcdonald's, I'd probably go too, you know? Yeah, the Happy Meal. Well, this was 89. Yep. So the toys probably weren't that. I mean, today the toys are pretty freaking awesome at McDonald's. Are they? they are cool. Ah. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not sampled or had the Happy Meal with a toy, you need to do that. So you're saying we should go to McDonald's after this? Yeah, well, do they do a McChicken and a Happy Meal? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They also don't have hot fudge sundaes anymore, so I'm kind of... What? Yeah. Yeah, no more. That's the worst news I've ever heard. And they don't do the Reese's Pieces Oreo McFlurry anymore either. Oh! I know, McDonald's is a piece of shit. I just want some fries. <sighs> um, so, once they're back at the apartment, Wesley was writing in his diary while Lee played with his new toy. Wesley wrote, he su- suspects nothing now. We'll probably wait until morning to kill him. That way, his body will be fairly fresh for experiments after work. I'll suffocate him in his sleep when I wake up for work. And in parentheses, it says, if I sleep. Ew. Like, oh. Like, shut up. Excitement. Um, Wesley continued to molest the boy throughout the night, taking breaks to record more notes in his diary. Mm -hmm. He fantasized how he would kill Lee and hide him while he was at work. At one point, this is like the, I don't know why, but this is the creepiest part to me. At one point, Wesley woke Lee up and he whispered in his ear, I'm going to kill you in the morning. That's all he said. Oh my god! Like, can you imagine being like woken up and just someone whispering Well, already that? all this horrible is happening to you right um so of course you know lee is crying and super scared and he calmed him down and said that he wouldn't kill him uh so in the morning uh wesley strangled lee and he cruelly revived the child Oh, my God. Then he strangled Lee with a rope and hung him in his crowded little closet so he could take pictures. Oh, stop. This is terrible. Is it over yet? Almost. So he hid Lee's body in the closet behind some blankets and pillows um, while he went to work. When he returned to work, he wrote in his diary, of course. Um, he wrote, I'll figure out a place to dump the garbage. Referring to Lee. So he drove to a dock near the pack plant, pack paper plant. Say that five times God. fast. Good Lord. And um, 
threw Lee in a brush near Vancouver Lake. He burned Lee's clothes in a barrel in his backyard, except he kept Lee's Ghostbusters underwear, which which he stashed away in his briefcase under the bed. Um, So at this point now, it's been a few days since Lee was missing. On the morning of November 1st, 1989, so same year, a pheasant hunter discovered Lee at Vancouver Lake. Hmm. There was no solid leads. Um, Investigators were hoping that Wesley would attend Lee's funeral. Oh, yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But, nope. He sat in his room with his diary, of course, and he was writing about um, how he's building a new torture rack out of boards and ropes for so his next victim. You might address this. I don't know. Is this before? Because he would have been on a sexual offender list, sex offender list, right? Now. And they would have had, like, record right. of him. So it must be before I'm assuming that so. takes place. Yeah. Yeah, because it never said anything about him having to register as one. Yeah, because I think even just exposing yourself, you do have yeah. to register as one. Even if you pee in public and get caught. Yeah, and so they would have, like, that list that they could go to his... Right. Damn the 80s. All right, so... Thanks to Wikipedia, I found out in 1990, Washington State became um, the first to notify its community of sex offenders. That's fascinating, Karen. I know. So it actually says that because um, of Wesley Allen Dodd, they decided to um, let the public know. Go Washington. That was November 1st when Lee's body was discovered. Um, On November 13th, Wesley, obviously still 28 years old, he was trying to abduct a six-year-old child from the theater bathroom in Camas, Washington. Oh, uh uh-huh. I know where that is. Um, And he was caught. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. The police brought him in the station for questioning. Um, he had detectives from both Washington and Oregon there interrogating him. Oh, man. When he was questioned about um, the incident at the theater, Wesley tried to convince the detectives that he only intended to molest the boy in the restroom. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. He He's not lying about anything. He's no. telling them. They didn't believe that bullshit, did they? That's all he wanted? Oh, I'm sure not. Good. Um, but he, oh no, not only, but he admitted now to the history of molestations and he eventually confessed that he had killed Billy and Colnear and Lee Isley and went into graphic detail. Oh. Um, obviously the detectives were disgusted by what happened, but they were even more disturbed by the fact that Wesley seem to enjoy reliving the events. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Especially talking about it, he's probably almost taking pride right. in what he did. Um, then he told mm. them about the briefcase under the bed 
um, where he hid his diaries, his photo albums, everything. So police went to his apartment. They found ropes and belts, ex-acto knives, and ropes around the headboard and footboard. They found four volumes of parent-child books. What? (laughs) So he could, like, understand how to talk to kids and get them to feel comfortable? That's probably the whole baby talk thing. Like, I don't even know. Uh, They also found a new copy of um, the New Testament, which had Satan lives on it. Oh. Yeah. And they also found Wesley's homemade torture rack, which luckily he didn't have a chance to use. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, Mm. So they opened up the briefcase and they found Lee's Ghostbusters underwear. They found his diaries. Um, Thank goodness, because it literally. There you go. That's that's all you need. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, he had neatly organized all the articles about all the cases. Um, he was very organized. So he labeled everything, like labeled Incident 1, Incident 2, blah, blah, blah. The photo album had the words Family Memories on the cover. That's disgusting. It's so ridiculous. I mean, did he really think in his deluded mind that this was, like, his family? Probably, actually. Um, so, he was charged with first-degree murder in the deaths of Billy and Colnier and Lee Isley, as well as attempted kidnapping at the theater. Um, he admitted that all his crimes were all premeditated. Um, let's see... There was no trial to determine the guilt, but there was still a jury to decide whether he would get the death penalty or not. So, really quick to point out that he was sexually abusing kids for 12 to 13 years. Um, And they said there was about 50 victims in all. I'm sure there was more, Mm -hmm. honestly. So, the jury consisted of six men and six women. Um, this I got from the Discovery Channel documentary. Okay. Okay. So the prosecutor says, what would be your intention if you're forced to live in prison? Wesley says, do anything I can to escape. And if necessary, kill prison guards on the way out. And I would go back to doing what I was doing before as soon as I hit the streets. Is he trying to get the death penalty? I think so, honestly. I mean, he's nothing but honest, I guess. Uh, the prosecutor said, which is what? Wesley said, kill kids. The prosecutor said, kill and rape kids? Wesley said, yes. And the prosecutor said, so you should be executed for the safety of others. And Wesley said, yes. Huh. Wesley's defense attorney did not call any witnesses. <laughs> Does he really need one? No. Like, um, nor did he present any evidence during the trial. Uh, you have, they have that diary. Yeah. What else are you going to do? So the defense attorney, Lee Dane, um, the only thing he said to defend Wesley was that um, only an insane person would write the diaries. That was literally, like, he 
you can tell that he didn't want to defend this just guy. A public defender. Appointed, I'm assuming so. Defender, yeah. So prosecutors asked for the death penalty on Saturday, July 15th, 1990. The judge agreed, or the jury, sorry, the jury agreed that Wesley should die for his crimes. Mm-hmm. Wesley said um, he wanted to be hanged because that's the way Lee Isley died. The judge set uh, Wesley's execution date for January 5th, 1993 in Walla Walla, Washington. I think they should cut off his genitals and let him bleed out. Right? And make him eat it. Yeah. But then some poor asshole. Minimum (laughs) wage would have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, just, he was very about him. So, he reached out to a bunch of people in the media. And he said that he was an expert and he marketed himself as a monster, and he made a pamphlet for parents to watch out for um, child molesters. Oh, my. Like, he was the cover person, and he was proud of it. Mm. He also appeared um, interviewing on Sally Jesse Raphael and a CNN special. Uh, the judge got so annoyed with him reaching out to all these news medias that he took away all his phone mail everything privilege Mm -hmm. so at 12 5 a.m on january 5th 1993 wesley dodd was executed by hanging and i looked and he was the second to last person to be hanged in walla walla oh wow yeah all the rest are lethal injections a little annoying that they gave him what he wanted though yeah you know he got his that was what he wanted. I don't want to give no give him lethal injection. Yeah, that's what you want. Fuck you. That's true. Oh well. Um, I did read that Washington State uh, got rid of the death penalty in 2018. Oh, so they ha- we had it for a while. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize we've had it for so long. I'm curious how many people were executed by it. Because uh, you think you wait on death row for so long, right? All the appeals. So who, who knows how many were actually? I yeah. Have to Google it. Google, Google. Oh, and look that up for us, please. <laughs> okay, Google. So, I, like I said earlier, I thought this was important to talk about just because of how much he got away with and that people are still getting away with, even in 2020. Uh, when I was sexually assaulted as a child and we went to the police, we meaning um, another friend of mine that I found out in high school was raped by the same guy. We finally went to the police and they couldn't do anything because there's no evidence on it. So I think it's important to talk about because there's so many victims out there who have to live with that Mm -hmm. when this guy who sexually assaulted us he caught wind of it, took a one-way flight to Paris, and never... He didn't even get a slap on the wrist. He didn't get anything. And continued to do what he was doing. I'm sure. Yeah, because they don't just stop cold turkey. Mm-hmm. I did. I don't know if I told you. A couple of years ago, I, like, was stalking him on social media, and I found him. And he was in New York, had this, like, beautiful girlfriend in his profile picture with him. And it just made me sick to Sickening. my stomach. 
Like, if that poor girl only knew, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it's my story. Uh, well, I just looked it up. There have been 110 executions in Washington State. Um, and its predecessor territory since 1849. Dang. Yeah. There's that, Gloria. That's crazy. Oh, that was a lot. Oh. Karen, I'm the, oh, bleh, that was a lot. Yeah, try researching for it. For my ears to hear today. I guess you want to hear something from the present? I don't, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not up to me. It's... Uh, so I have a quick story for you. Remember my story last week mm-hmm. where the couple, they were shot picnicking mm-hmm. in Mill Creek. Um, last weekend, I went with my husband and in-laws mushroom hunting. And my kids kind of got sick of it, so they went with my father and mother-in-law to cook, do barbecue. Yeah. And I stayed down with my husband and his brothers, and we're looking for mushrooms, and we hear gunfire. <gasps> like, exactly where base camp is set up. Oh, my God. We all just look at each other. Because no one, of course, wants to, you know, like, <gasps> I wonder if they're being murdered. Right. You know? But right. I look at, jo- at my husband and I said, um, do you know, do you remember the story I did yesterday? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. So they're immediately calling my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law's fiance. Of course, nobody's answering. Of course. One of my brother-in-laws is starting to book it up the hill. Well, then my mother-in-law answered the phone. Everyone was fine. It was the people camped over across the road shooting, but... <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> my heart jumped in my stomach for a second. Right. You don't want to be no. too careful. No. Um, And then we had a listener, Nancy, write in that about my story as well. When Yates shot the pig from the oh, airplane, yeah. she said that's pretty much the plot of Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Now, is that the one where Tommy Lee Jones is Major Chip Hazard? Is that that movie? I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Huh. I don't know if I've seen it, but I don't. I think it's, uh, you know what? Let's, um. Let's find it. Yeah, I'm looking on. Bueller? Bueller? Oh, it's the one with Josh Harnett. So, no, I think you're thinking of a different one. He looks like Tommy Lee Jones, kind of. Mm, They could be related. Does he? Father, son. Oh, yeah. Mm. Totally. Okay. Here we go. I'm taking you to Portland. January 1st, 1990. A local woman disappears from a bar after playing pool. The bar was called B&I Tavern. And um, I got my information from, a little bit from Murderpedia, but mostly from a Crime Stories documentary on YouTube. Mm. It was very interesting. So this young lady was 23. Her name was Tanya Bennett. She was friendly, described as a free-spirited. She liked to go out. She liked to meet new people. She enjoyed going home with new people as well. <laughs> Uh-oh. Which, yeah, was her downfall, unfortunately. So she was found brutally raped and murdered. And her body was discovered January 23rd in the Columbia Gorge area. Mm-hmm. You know where? Yeah. There in the woods. Um... And there was very little evidence from the side of, from her body. And there was a section of her jeans removed, which they think is a souvenir, probably. And she was beaten and strangled. And they couldn't ID her body. And they only ID'd it when her mom came in because she saw a news report that a body had been found. A woman had been found. 
I think this is the story that I was researching for next week. So I told you to wait. God. Okay. Well, then we can chime in here. Wait. Can we? Can we? Do you want to pause it? Uh, There were no clues, no tips. And they think she may have left with someone just because she was very friendly and had a bubbly personality. So, here's where it gets a little twisty-twisty. February 5th, 57-year-old Laverne Palvinak. Palvinak? I'm kind of glad you're doing this story because all the names Names I could not pronounce. Laverne. We'll call her Laverne. (laughs) She, well, first she anonymously called to say that she knows who the killer is. And she gave the name as... John, sound it out here, Sosnovzak. <laughs> you got to add some flip. That was really good. Okay, John. So anyway, she said she overheard him bragging to a friend that he had killed Tanya. And he talked about picking her up and taking her to a warehouse. And so she kept calling and police were kind of like, Meh. well, then she gave her name and said, you know, it's my live-in boyfriend. He did this, and in his belongings, police found a note that said, T. Bennett, good piece. Yeah. And then he failed the lie detector test. Well, and then our friend Laverne, Laverne. she, quote-unquote, found a piece of missing jeans that she claimed to be Tanya's. Mm Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, not a match. Or unsurprisingly. And they feel that... Laverne is really trying to implement her boyfriend in this case. Yeah. And there's really nothing tying him to the murder to Tanya other than Laverne's say-so. Right. So, Laverne kicks it up a notch. She admits that she was there. She participated. She gave detailed accounts. She admitted to strangling Tanya. And she had... Oh, and it was really hard for the police to believe that this... Sweet little grandma mm-hmm. held this woman down. So they thought, well, you know what, Laverne? We're going to take you on a test here. So they decided to drive out to the gorge area and have her show where the body was, where Tanya was left. Yeah, that's smart. I hate to say dumped. So. I know. So they took her for a, do- a drive, and she showed them right where... They had left left Tanya. Hmm. So police like, shit. Right. All right, then. We'll arrest you and John. <laughs> Welcome ask. to the show, lady. God. Okay, once they get Miss Laverne to court, she recants. Not guilty, saying she made... It's kind of like reality hit her in the face. Yeah. She says she made up the whole thing based on what she read in the papers and she was trying to frame her abusive boyfriend. 1991, January. She's found guilty as an accomplice and sentenced to life in prison. Bon, bon, bon. John, he didn't go to trial. He pled no contest. And he was sent to prison without parole for 15 years. And he pled no contest because he was facing the death penalty. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we started the twist. We're going to tangle it some more. Are you ready? Uh, Karen, I'm going to tell you what so. I tell the kids. Hold on to your pockets. All right. While the trial was underway, graffiti about the murder turned up in a truck stop in Montana. It said, 
I killed Tanya Bennett and two people on, are on trial for the killing. Now, police kind of wrote it off as some quote-unquote yahoo at a truck stop <laughs> because this is getting national attention, especially in our area. This is a little unheard of. Is that how they said it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's why I put quotes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like this, you know, your basic dad detective here. God. So March 1994, boom, case closed. I felt pretty good. Well, there was an anonymous letter sent to the Beaverton Courthouse. Beaverton is in Oregon, pretty close to Portland. It's kind yeah. of a suburb of Portland, you might say. It's like say. a college town, isn't it? No? It's a town. <laughs> it could be, yeah. I'm sure there's lots of colleges. I don't know. Fuck it. It was handwritten, and it was very similar to the graffiti mm. in Montana. Signed with a happy face. Circle, two eyes, little happy face. So creepy. Yeah, very creepy. And there was the descriptions of the killing. Let's see. I wrote really to sign here. So a few weeks later, new letter, letter, this time sent to the Oregonian. Details of the murder of four other women. So total of five, Mm -hmm. including Tanya. He was mocking the police and he specified dump locations and it was signed the happy face plus he wrote under it the happy face killer he wanted to make sure they got the message he made himself a name they better stick to it right Mm -hmm. oh and that was sent to journalist phil stanford at the oregonian they thought another hoax because they didn't really have any evidence to support these letters right well and the oregonian decided to send an investigative journalist to Talk to different agencies around where these alleged sites, dump sites, are at. Mm-hmm. And they did, in fact, find bodies at these locations, and they were at a standstill because they didn't have any leads. Um, the letters had details also that weren't given to the public, which makes them a little bit more real and right. believable. One of those details was he had stepped on her neck to make sure she was dead. Ugh. And like this a was... Chicken. Yeah, I wouldn't do that to a chicken. This is um, info only the killer or the investigators would know. And there was unfortunately no not common link in between these bodies. Mm. Nothing to that investigators would have thought tied them to a serial killer. Right. Okay, we're going to jump ahead. 1995. Here we go. Julianne Whittingham, 41. She was found nude along the banks of Columbia, of the Columbia River Mm -hmm. um, in Washington. She was disposed of the same way as Tanya. Uh, There was tape residue on her face and neck. She had been raped and strangled. I can't read my handwriting. Me either. I don't think anyone on Instagram could either. So they were able to... (laughs) (laughs) I did that on purpose. I don't want anybody to know. So... They were able to ID her through fingerprints, which led them to her mother. And this led them to their first big break. Tangle, tangle, tangle. Mm -hmm. There we go. So two weeks earlier, Julianne had showed up at her mom's house at 2 a.m. with a, this is a quote, humongous man (laughs) named Chris. Now, it was so funny in this documentary, they had a reenactment. Uh Okay, and mom is like, oh! Julianne's hugging her mom and smiling. 
I show up at my parents' house at 2 a.m. with a humongous man. I'm getting shot. Yeah. I'm not getting hugged. And no, nobody is happy to see me. No. <laughs> the hell? So we have a pretty nice relationship. Uh, according to mom, Chris was a long haul truck driver. Mm-hmm. And apparently this, quote unquote, Chris, had helped Julianne sell her car. So her detectives were able to retrieve the bill of sale. And there was a witness signature. You already know. This was Keith Hunter Jesperson. Yep. So I believe Chris and Keith, the same man. I'm ta- I'm assuming. And he signed two different names to make it more legal. Because Keith is also humongous. Mm. And they never mentioned Chris again in the documentary. So I think they're the same person. Yeah, I don't think they even mentioned a Chris. Yeah, I think the they're the same. In my family. Um, he had no criminal history, and we'll go over the why in a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, when they ran his name. Um, he drove through many states, and he was hard to track down. Fortunately, the company he worked for cooperated with the police, and they sent them where he was going to be next, in New Mexico. So guess who was there waiting for good old, well, not good old, but Keith, the humongous man? Detectives. And they took him to get blood and hair. And he did admit to being Julianne's ex, which tells me Chris and Keith are the same person. Right. But you know what? The last time he saw her, they were in an argument in Clark County, Washington, and she just left him in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He never really volunteered any information. He never showed concern. And he never asked what happened to her or why are you asking me about her? Which you would think... If your girlfriend, your ex, yeah, uh-huh, he'd be like, "Oh, police are talking God, to me." God, yeah, what happened? You, you better look for Chris. Like, <laughs> at least fake it, dude. No Jesus. kidding. Um, they couldn't hold him anymore, and they had to let him go, unfortunately. But Detective Rick oh, Buckner gave him a card and said, "You know what? Five days later, call me." And let me know what I should do. Should I add you into the investigation or should I take you out? Which is weird. But he it, asked Keith that. Uh-huh. Well, guess what? Five days later, he gets a call from Keith saying he's going to turn himself in. Oh. On voicemail. Oh. He didn't even tell him to. He just left it on voicemail. <laughs> hey, it's me. I know. <laughs> just confessing. Is this the happy face killer we've been learning about? Question mark. Dun, dun, dun. Here I have a quote. Meeting Keith Jesperson was like meeting a big farm boy. He looked them straight in the eye, joked, and soft-spoken. Police retrieved a letter Keith had wrote um, to his family, or to his brother. There was admission that he had killed eight women. He admitted to being Happy Face Killer. Mm -hmm. Forensic analysis compared the letter Keith wrote to that of our happy face letter. It was pretty close. DNA from the letter matched. He had said that he'd strangled Tanya Bennett by shoving his fist in her throat. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And he was unable to provide any... Oh, okay. So the DNA from the letter matched DNA on Tanya Bennett. Got it. Yeah. So they didn't have any hard evidence to prove he was the happy face killer. They think he was just trying to take claim Credit, for it. Yeah, yeah, to get notoriety. So they took him, the same thing they did with Laverne. 
okay, show us where you left the body. Right. He couldn't do it. Oh. But they're driving back, and he said, wait, I threw a purse out over here. Oh, uh-huh. shit. Uh-huh. So search teams scour the area. They don't find anything. I know. Wah, wah, wah. Second time around, they found her driver's license. So that sealed that. He's good for the murder. November 1995, after serving four years, Laverne and John were released. And there was a quote in the video. I watched this woman. She said, Big wake-up call that people who are innocent can go to prison. (laughs) Well, what the fuck? She admitted to it and took to where the body was left. I mean, come on. Don't do that and you won't get... (laughs) Convicted of murder. Laverne dug her own grave. Oh, Laverne, 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 Laverne. God. And yeah, just you need to at least look up a picture of her. Oh, yeah. You'll understand. (laughs) Yeah, Laverne and John, they're quite Mm -hmm. the pair. Okay, a little bit about Keith. Um, He had a violent, violent childhood. He was born in 1955. His father was a domineering alcoholic. And he was teased by family and others for being so large. Um, He was the middle child of two brothers and two sisters. He didn't get near enough attention. Uh, First from British Columbia, and then they moved to Sela, Washington, which is over by Seattle. I think so. And his brothers are so sweet. They nicknamed him Igor, or Ig, because of his large size. And it stuck all through school. That's what he was called. Yeah, I mean, don't feel bad for him, but... And then he also tortured and killed animals. Mm-hmm. And um, he was, like I said, his father was violent, and one time he was disciplined with electric shock. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 10, he first tried to kill someone, a boy who picked on him, and he attacked and beat the boy and had to be pulled off by the boy's father. Wow. A year later, he tried to drown a boy in a pool who allegedly this boy had tried to drown Keith in a lake. Um, in 1990, his parents divorced. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was married in 75, had three kids, and he really wanted to be a Mountie. Do you know what that is? No. So it's the Canadian police. Oh. I, I believe they're on horseback, or they used to be, so they're called Mounties. <laughs> well, I don't really know. But he was injured and at 35 became a truck driver. And he actually was pretty happy with that situation because it allowed him to kill without yeah. being detected. Such an asshole. So they divorced in 1990. Um, and then in April 1990, a month after the first murder in Portland, he was approached by an intoxicated woman and her six-month-old child mm. in Mount Shasta, California. Both mom and baby ended up in his car. Um, she started to give him head, but stopped and asked to go home. Well, he didn't like that, so he tried to force her to finish. Ugh. She struggled. He became violent and tried to break her neck. Ugh. Well, he was failing at breaking her neck, and he really didn't want to kill a child, so he took them back to where he found them. Uh, she went to the police, and they arrested him at gunpoint. But he claimed her neck was being twisted was an accident course they believed him but he was still charged for sexual assault he didn't appear in court so a warrant was issued 
He was arrested later in Iowa at a way station when they discovered the warrant for his arrest. But the warrant was too weak and the, quote, cost of extradition wasn't worth it. And he was exonerated. That's horrible. Not awful. I mean, they had him. They had him. So I have some of his victims here. Tanya Bennett from Portland, Oregon. Jane Doe. Blythe. 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 California. Uh, I don't know. Cynthia Lynn Rose, Turlock, California. Lori Ann Pentland from Salem, Oregon. Another Jane Doe, Santanella, California. Jane Doe, Crestview, Florida. So he liked to, um, the, were sex workers. Mm. And so unfortunately, I mean, he gave names, said what their names were, but he, how would, you know, who trusts him? Right. So there was an Angela Serbys, and she was from Spokane, Washington. And he gave her a ride, was giving her a ride to Indiana, Indi- <laughs> Indiana, <laughs> to see her boyfriend. Apparently, she nagged him to hurry, so he raped and strangled her. This is really sick. He strapped her to the undercarriage of his truck face down to grind off her face and her prints. She yeah. wasn't found for several months, and it was... Only after he was arrested and gave details of where. And didn't he have her or like drag her under his truck for like, I want to say it was like 20 minutes. Like it was like a long. Oh, can you imagine? Candy cane. That's all I think of. Yeah. Uh, Julianne Winningham from Washougal, Washington. So his daughter, Melissa G. Moore, has just gone on to do wonderful things. She was on Dr. Phil in 2008, in the Oprah Winfrey Show in 2009, 2020, and 2010. Uh, she lived with him until her parents were divorced in 1990, and she says he would kill stray cats and even hung stray kittens on the family clothesline. Yep. He watched them try to escape and then killed them all in front of her. Mm-hmm. She yeah. said in... Um monster in my family that he would hang him by the back and the tail and she was i don't know she had to be like six or something at the time and she ran inside to get her mom just bawling and by the time they came back out they the cats were dead it's horrible so now she uh hosts and produced the monster in my family on the lifetime movie network she's emmy not emmy nominated journalist and i think she got all those wonderful traits from her mother oh absolutely (laughs) oh and there's also a lifetime movie network original movie oh yes starring the so handsome david arquette oh (laughs) i couldn't watch it because you know how dare he do that to me it would just ruin ever since scream he's so cute but i I couldn't watch it oh it was just too much i have a nice quote here from the happy face letter that i'm going to end on In a lot of opinions, I should be killed, and I feel I deserve it. My responsibility is mine, and God will be my judge when I die. I am telling you this because I will be responsible for these crimes and no one else. It all started when I wondered what it would be like to kill someone, and I found out. What a nightmare it has been. Look over your shoulder. I'm closer than you think. Oh, yeah, gross, motherfucker. Ah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it was. I started researching him today, actually, 
And when I watch that episode, I just feel so bad. You don't ever think about the killer's family. No, they're victims too. Yeah. And she went to apologize to one of the victim's sisters. And the victim's sister was like, you have nothing to be sorry for. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. you. Like... I'm sorry that you're related to him type of a thing. Um, But that, yeah, you just never think about the killer's family Mm -hmm. and how affected they are and how now they're labeled as, you know, the happy face killer's daughter Mm -hmm. type of a thing. At least she has a a different last name. Yeah. Because I never heard of him, so I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Even if she had the same last name, I would legally go change my last Mm -hmm. name. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, man. Need a drink. I know. Do that. So we came up with this fun idea to say what the national day. Yeah, because you losers haven't been sending us your stories. Ugh, Come yeah. on. And it doesn't have to be a story in the Pacific Northwest. It could be anywhere, anything. Give um, a shout out. But these are kind of fun because I'm pretty sure they're like made up. Anyways, oh, 100%. Like, they're totally. so weird, and every single day is, like, a national <laughs> whatever day. So today, we are filming um, May 21st. So today is National Waitstaff Day. Aww. So make sure to tip your... Tip your takeout. Yeah. Because that's not open. Like, it's not open here. Um, sure you're still in quarantine. Um, and then Saturday is National Taffy Day. Check the Luffy Taffy. Mm. The Luffy Taffy. Karen, check the Luffy Taffy. The Oregon coast has the best taffy. You know, you can get that at Super One, too. The saltwater taffy. It's the same. Oh, but it's the same stuff as Super so One. It's so much better when you're... It's the same At taffy. the coast. I don't like taffy. Ugh. Well, I don't like you. Well, I didn't like your story. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Uh, and then Sunday, May 24th, is National Brothers Day. So to Hi, all you brothers. Not that you're listening. I know. You're punk. Hi, Michael. Did Michael listen? I don't know. He's got to commute. You should just plug it in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Michael, come Hello. on, man. Get with the program. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder of Ages. We are currently setting up our Patreon, so wait for that. And email us your stories at murderofages at gmail.com. To all you perverse, notorious wastes, we'll meet you there.